Today we are in Matthew 27, the penultimate chapter, Matthew 27. Now, now I've got a painting on the screen for you because I'm not going to put the text on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 27. If you don't have your Bible, I'm going to read it and you can follow uh, by hearing it and by uh, visually being transported to some of these scenes um, by, by the paintings I'm going to put. This is Judas returning the 30 pieces of silver. That's Judas uh, being remorseful here, and those are the 30 pieces of silver. It's a Rembrandt. It was the first Rembrandt uh, masterpiece. All right, but today's not about that. Today's about, about the Word of God. Come, let me read to you, and the rest of you can follow from your Bible. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read all the essential parts for today. Chapter 27, verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders and of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. I'm just going to jump now to verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was really amazed. Now, at the, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two of you do you want, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. 
Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him and hit, stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene by the name of Simon. They compelled him to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple, rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Then the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, that is the third day, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Then the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what had taken place and they were filled with awe and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will take this word and you will multiply it. You will take this word, Lord God, and bring us into sharp focus on the centrality of the cross and the cross which is the centerpiece of all human history, Lord God. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you bring us into your presence today and help us to see and enthrone you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. Don't you love Matthew 27? Don't you love that? I love that. I think it's the centerpiece of all human history. And I've entitled today's sermon, 
Atonement and enthronement meet on the cross. And I, and I see some of your faces, you're afraid because you think I'm going to give you a one-hour seminary lecture. Uh, but don't worry, this is not a one-hour seminary lecture. Isaac Ling is the only one who's disappointed it's not a seminary lecture. For the rest of you, it's, I'm going to preach to you the gospel and I'm going to preach to you the power of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? And what this title, Atonement, and enthronement meet on the cross, it really means just two things, right? Two things happen on the cross. The first one is atonement. Everybody say atonement. One, two, three. Atonement. And what it means is Jesus pays for your sins. What it means is that all the sinful things all the stupid things, all the wrong things, all the rash things, and all the hurtful things that we have done in all of our lives, which by right, we should have to pay for. Someone else pays it for us. And in this case, Jesus Christ pays it for us. That's what it means that atonement takes place on the cross. On the cross, Jesus pays for our sins. But that's only the first thing that takes place on the cross. The other thing happening on the cross is enthronement. Everybody say enthronement. One, two, three. Enthronement. And what this means is that on the cross, Jesus is crowned as king. Jesus is crowned as king. What it means is that from the start of Jesus' earthly ministry, we know that the king has arrived. We know that, that, that he is, he is broken into this world and that his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is nigh. And now, Jesus is going on this journey to the cross. And on the cross, you heard just now, they put a crown but a crown of thorns on him, right? And it is at the cross, he defeats the power of darkness. He is fully enthroned. His kingdom is fully inaugurated here on earth. That's today's sermon. And we're going to take it one at a time. Atonement and enthronement meet on the cross. I want to show you this verse from verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. This is between 12 Noon and three in the afternoon. Darkness. Darkness covered the land at three in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these words, my God, why have you forsaken me? They have baffled historians and theologians and, and Christians for centuries, millennia now. And everybody's asking, why? What does it mean? Huh? Actually, how come the Father forsake Jesus? Can the Father forsake Jesus? If the Father and the Son are separated, what happens to the Trinity? Is, is there still unity? Blah, 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 blah. And you know what? Maybe these are valid questions, you know? Maybe they are valid questions. But, but I think when the evangelist Matthew records these lines, I don't think he recorded it so that we can have a debate about all these things. I think at the very first level, I think maybe the truest level, he records these words to show us the cry of anguish of Jesus on the cross. Why? Because, because maybe in every other way, it's so plainly written. Right? I think if you gave Matthew 27 to a modern day writer, you know, he, might, he or she might write it with, with hamming it up, dramatizing it, and, and, the, and the nail broke through his wrist. Jesus wept. He, he grimaced, blood dripped, you know, and, and like suddenly we, we, we might have the, you know, we might be tempted to make it sound more dramatic. And then this, our friend Matthew, huh, you know how he writes it? 
And after they had crucified him, they divided his clothes, his garments with lot. Hey, they even give him a full sentence, man. Give him, give this, the centerpiece of all human history gets half a sentence in the Gospel of Matthew. After they had crucified him, they divided his garments with lots. Why? I believe that the evangelist doesn't want to tug and mess and manipulate your heartstrings. I believe he wants to tell it to you as it is. I believe he does. Now, I tell you something. I tell you something. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine. What does it mean for, for that to take place? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a forsaking taking place. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus bore the punishment for your sins. I mean, even from, if you want to take Matthew, you go all the way back to the birth of Jesus being prophesied by the angel Gabriel, what did he say? You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people of their sins. The vocation of Jesus Christ on earth from the beginning, even before he was born, was to save his people from their sins. But I tell you something, the apostle Paul captures this, this, this forsakenness on the cross by using these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Paul writes this, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he, that is God, condemned sin in the flesh. So what was happening to Jesus on the cross? Now, I believe that there was a physical torture. It was, now, crucifixion is no joke, okay? It's like really horrible. Like yesterday after the service, Pastor Susie brought me to her desk and she had this, eight-inch nail, right, from uh, Stations of the Cross a few years ago. Half of it was rusty. The other half was like, was red. And it's, I held it against my wrist. And four inches stuck out this way. Another three inches stuck out this way. And I thought, Susie, I can't lie. I'm not bringing it on stage. You know, you leave it here on your desk. I can't. It's, it's too much, right? And, but, but there is a God condemned sin in the flesh. And you know, sin needs to be dealt with. How many of you know that for God to be just, huh, sin needs to be dealt with? Can't everybody sin and they get away with murder? Can you, would you worship a God who lets people get away with murder? Cannot, right? He has to do something. How did he do it? He condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus. Not just the sins before Jesus, the sins contemporary to Jesus and all the sins after Jesus. He condemned sin in the flesh. That's why just now when I read that text to you, I showed you this photo, this painting. I believe that this, paint, this painting captures how hellish it must have been for Jesus to die on the cross and be forsaken by the Father. Isaiah in chapter 53 describes it more poetically. He says this, of Jesus, of the, the grand chapter on the suffering servant. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he's carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was placed on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Pierced for our transgressions, right there on the wrists and one on the feet. Crushed for our iniquities, chastised for our peace, wounded for our healing. This is Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, I tell you something, friends. I became a Christian at 22, but I had heard of this message long before I became a Christian. 
Back in, back in the days when I was a, a, a young boy, I heard this message, and like the many people in 20, chapter 27, I mocked it. I thought it was stupid. I was a... I was a I was a little Buddhist boy, right? Like, like I've got a Buddhist background and a bit of a Hindu background. And, and, uh, and I grew up, uh, one of the things we used to do, we used to go to a Buddhist society a lot, right? And we'd go on Buddhist retreats and Buddhist camps and we'd sing all the Buddhist hymns and all that. I don't know how many of you guys come from that background. You might even remember one of the Buddhist hymns, right? And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to sing it, right? But I'm going to recite the lyrics to you. Um, there is this song, it goes, by ourselves is evil done, by by ourselves, we pain endure. By ourselves, we cease from wrong. By ourselves, become we pure. No one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. We ourselves must walk the path. Buddhas merely show the way. Man, I can't remember. I think I sung that song hundreds of times growing up, right? In so many Buddhist retreats and all that. Now, now that's the story of how I grew up. That's how I grew up. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of songs I sang, right? That's the theology I had about what you're doing right now. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. My family is this really nice, kind of loving, warm-hearted, kind of like no sharp edges, like everything rounded out. Like my family is that kind of really sweet family. But when it comes to cosmic matters like this, you doser, you buyer, man. You do something wrong, you pay for it yourself. Nobody's going to pay for you. So when I heard the Christian message as a little boy, I thought, what stupid religion is this? Where got religion like that? You do wrong and then people pay for you. Rubbish, what kind of stupid thing? It was stupid, it was offensive, it was unfair. It was so unfair. I used to think, what, how come the Christians are there? What, why they think they're so clever? Like someone else can pay their sins for them, you know? But what did I know, right? I was a boy. I was a boy. How much sins had I racked up by then? Almost nothing. And then I grew up. And then I grew up. And the more I grew up, the more I sinned. The more I grew up, the more conscious I was of my failings, of my wrongdoings, of all the people I hurt, of all the people I failed. Yeah, I started failing, man. If you haven't grown up, try growing up. You try, try failing a few people a few times. Every time you fail someone, it, it, costs, it costs them money, it costs them their effort, it costs them their hopes, it costs them their, 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 their energy, it costs them their investment into me. And I failed so many people in my life. And then I hurt people. I took from them more than they would give. And I hurt, I wounded people. And all these sins started to weigh on me. The guilt. I tell you, my 20s and 30s, I went through with so much guilt, man. So much guilt because I kept thinking, man, I'm going to have to pay for this. I'm going to have to pay for this. Can I say this? At that point, there was this, maybe there's this part of, of that little boy that was still there saying, take responsibility, man. You sin, you pay. But can I say, can I say that the guilt on this side of eternity, yeah, it's already so heavy, but maybe you can suck it up, lah, suck it up, live to a ripe old age and then die in that guilt, right? Who cares? But can I say this? If you were to see the punishment on the other side of eternity, to die in your guilt, to die in your, in your shame and then to enter that, man, I've heard those stories, right? I've heard stories of people who have, who have had near-death experiences and, and if, if it smells with like the rotting flesh and, and that, that putrid kind of smell that I've been told, it will smell like I don't think you'll be saying can I pay for it I don't think anyone will say that 
If it, if it feels as hot, it singes your skin and every part of you feels like you'd rather just die than to have that, but you're dead and you still have that. Can I say this? I don't think you'll be saying, Ayah, saya dosa, saya baya. I don't think you'll be saying that. If, it, if you enter that loneliness, that pitch black loneliness, despair, and you hear the howls of anguish and the gnashing of teeth and all the regret around you and you yourself regret, I don't think you'll be saying, I'll take responsibility for my sins, bring it on. I think you'll fall to your knees, you'll cry, you'll weep, you wish there was a God and you'll say, God, forgive me. Whatever wrong I've done, please, in your mercy, forgive me. Please, forgive me. Please, forgive me. Have mercy. Have mercy on me. I think that's what you'll do. I know that's what I'd do. If I find myself standing on the brink of that, I will plead for mercy like, like any part of me that would have wished that wanted to take responsibility for my own sins and pay for it myself would just, would just die right there. I'd rather, I, who don't want to be spared? Who don't want to be spared? Maybe the righteous, self-righteous will say, I'm fine. I don't need this. I don't need your help. Thank you very much. I'm well. I'm good on my own. But you know what? It actually took me having to grow up to realize that only drowning men can see Jesus. Only drowning men can see Jesus. But then again, all of us are drowning men and women, right? We know that. So maybe a better way to put it is this, that only people who know and realize that they are drowning can see Jesus and see it as someone beautiful. And for, for, for those of them who are drowning but refuse to accept that they are drowning, when Jesus says, come my son, come my daughter, let me pull you out of those waters, they say, I'm fine Jesus, I can make it out on my own. Friends, you'll die trying. I almost want to say, you want to try, try, but I don't want to say that because you don't want to try. You don't want to try, my friends. You will die trying. But Jesus died so that you don't have to die trying. Jesus died so that your sins have been paid for, so you don't have to pay for your own sins. Amen? This is the Christian message. And I want to pray with you. Can we pray at this moment? I, I know I'm only at the halfway point of my sermon. I want to pray. Can we all close our eyes? I know that some of you here, you have never prayed a prayer before to say, Jesus, thank you. Take, take this payment. Thank you. And you really don't have to do much, you know. You just have to say, thank you, Jesus. I don't even need you to come out to the front. I'm just need, I just need you to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for paying. Thank you for, I couldn't pay. You paid. Thank you. And right now, I want to lead us all, for all of us, Christians and those who are on the brink of saying this for the first time, let us pray this prayer together. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sins. I love you. You showed me that you love me. Thank you so much. I would have died trying, but I don't have to try. You paid it for me. Thank you, Jesus. I accept you as my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. From today onwards, I belong to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
Don't worry if you if you prayed that prayer for the first time in your life. I'm not going to call you out. You can stay seated. But something supernatural is taking place in your heart right now. And with this, I want to bring you to the next point because two things happen on the cross: atonement and enthronement. On the cross. Your sins were paid for, but on the cross, Jesus was crowned king, almighty, mighty, powerful king, Jesus. And I want to show you this. And to show you this, I have to rewind all of us back many months because it was many months ago that Pastor Chu and Pastor Isaac showed us a slide that looked like this. I've simplified it a bit, but they showed us this in the Matthew overview. How many of you guys remember our Matthew overview? And you sat here in church, you know, this is the Jewish mindset. The Jewish mindset is, I live down here in the present evil age, and then I wait. I wait and wait and wait and wait until Messiah returns. I'm waiting for the Messiah to come. When Messiah comes, He will bring us all up to heaven, and we will reign together with God. That is the Jewish mindset, but that is not the Christian mindset. For us, this is our mindset that because Jesus has come, because King Jesus has been enthroned on the cross, that today we are seated in the heavenlies. You know what it means? You are seated in the heavenlies. All authority in heaven has been given to you. You don't have to wait for the second coming of Christ to have authority. Turn to the person next to you and say, "You already have authority." Turn, turn to the person sitting next to you. You already have authority. Turn to the other person and say, "You." Are seated with Christ, and those are not just words. It means that there is power in you. There is unimmeasurable potential for power in you, and you're already reigning with Christ here while you live on earth. Now, I want to show you another way to visualize this. Same idea, same idea, but another way to think of it is like this: There is a kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, there's a king, right? Who's the king? Jesus, right, and then there is the kingdom of this world, and the king of this world is the dark ruler of this world, Satan himself. Now, remember in Matthew chapter six, when Jesus preaches and teaches us how to pray, he says, "Our Father." Why don't we say this together? One, two, three. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stop there. Your kingdom, meaning there's your kingdom, means it's not yet our kingdom, right? Your kingdom, come, come where to our world, right? Your will be done. Your will be done where in heaven it's already being done. So your will be done on earth, on earth. The same way it's done in heaven, do it on earth. So when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What you are praying is for this to happen. I'm gonna click. It's gonna move like that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Is when the kingdom of heaven crashes into the kingdom of this world. It invades the kingdom of this world. It has an invasive power. It gets in. It gets in. The king breaks in to this world. And when the king breaks into this world, you see there is an overlapping part. This is the intersection between heaven and earth. Now, a long time ago, you know where? What was the intersection between the kingdom of heaven and earth? Where heaven and earth meet? It was the temple. Back in the days, the Jews would go to the temple. They would sacrifice. The priests would go all the way once a year into the 
most holy place, the holy of holies. Everyone will start from the outer courts, the court of women, the court of Gentiles, they will get to the inner courts, and then there is the holy place, and then there is the curtain. And behind the curtain is that perfect cube, the most holy place. That was this the intersection between heaven and earth. And then what happens? And then when Jesus is on the cross, we read it just now, right? Chapter 27, on the cross, Jesus breathed his last, he let out a final cry, and then the curtain was torn in two. And after that, all heaven breaks loose, right? The rocks split and earthquake strikes and then everything, the tombs break open. And three days later, the saints who were asleep in those tombs got up and started walking into the city. Why? How did this happen? It's because on the cross, when Jesus defeated the powers of darkness, kingdom of heaven came so that now the, the intersection between heaven and earth is no longer a temple of bricks and mortar. The intersection where heaven meets us is the temple of the Holy Spirit that is your body. Your body. Can you believe it? It's your body. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you are the intersection of heaven and earth. Turn to the other person. Say, oh my gosh, you. You are the intersection of heaven and earth. I'm sitting with intersections of the heaven and earth. Amazing. Amazing. That's you. That's what it means when you pray, your kingdom come. That's us, huh? this shaded part. That's us. We occupy this space. And that's why two weeks ago when Pastor Chu preached to us, he said, occupy, occupy till I come. How many of you remember when Pastor Chu preached? Are you ready, right? Get ready, get ready. Occupy. And by the way, this occupy is not the same occupy as Occupy Wall Street, right? Where you go and you sit and you make a nuisance to yourself to the 1%. That's not the Occupy. This Occupy is the same root as occupation. It means put your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, to work. That is your spiritual vocation. That is what you were born to do. So you may have a job, and all of us have different jobs, homemakers, filmmakers, whatever you want to call it, but every one of us has the same spiritual vocation that is to put the temple to work. Put the temple to work. Remember the, over, the intersection part? That intersection part has to grow. That's why we say together we follow Jesus. That's why we say together we build God's kingdom. That kingdom is the intersecting part where heaven touches earth. That must grow. That's why Christmas is coming. Invite all your friends, man. Invite your mom, your dad, grandma, grandpa, friends, uncle, auntie. Bring them all here. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven must touch their lives. If not, then we are going to reverse back to, to Matthew chapter 3. Remember when Jesus quoted Isaiah 9, said the king, people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, right? On those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, a light has shone. What does it mean? Those guys are in darkness, kingdom of the world, the dark ruler of the world, Satan himself. And them, an invasive foreign light comes in. What is this? Kingdom of heaven on earth. That's what it means, right? From the very start of the Gospel of Matthew, already the whole thing is about one story. The king has come. 
The king has come and he's coming with invasive power and he's going to go on this 27 chapter long journey all the way to his royal coronation. And on the cross, he will be crowned. On the cross, his kingdom will be fully inaugurated and all the powers of heaven will be unleashed onto earth in that moment. And this, I want to show you. Maybe you think, no la, pastor, you talk nonsense. Let me show you. Matthew 1 verse 1. The very first verse of, Ma of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Not even 10 words. Son of David. I preached this uh, um, back in February when I preached the genealogy of Jesus. Son of David. Not even Abraham, you know. Now he doesn't go to Abraham first. So he's not linking us to Jewish identity. He's not linking us to uh, identity of faith first. He's linking us to King is coming. King is coming. That's the first thing on Matthew's mind. Son of David. And then remember I showed you this, this, uh, uh, this, this section of the, of the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus is here, number 41, right, in the list. But there is David and how Jesus comes from a long lineage of kings. But the whole, the whole irony of this is nobody expected the king to come like Jesus. Everybody thought the king is going to come with pomp and grandeur and, 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 and a big entourage and lots of people playing music and a huge you know, chariot and, and all those things. Everybody thought it was going to be grand. And then he came humble in a manger this Christmas. In a manger, so humble with nothing, nothing. And everybody thought he's going to grow his kingdom. He's going to grow his kingdom with might, with power, through violence against the, the evil empire. You know, that's what he's going to do. No, no. He befuddled everyone. He grew his kingdom through self-sacrifice. You know how the kingdom grows? Every time a kernel of seed falls to the ground, more kernels sprout, sprout, spring up. That's how self-sacrifice. Where God people grow their kingdom? Through dying. Jesus grows his kingdom through dying. And everybody thought, oh, no, no, no. I'm sure his coronation will be a grand affair. I'm sure that all the TV stations are going to be on it. The Daily Mail will be covering it. Everyone will be insta-storing it. And it will be the event of the year. And guess what? It wasn't the event of the year. It was the event of all human history. And it was, it, it was, it was not grand his crown would be resplendent, right? It would be beautiful. No, it was a wretched crown. They put that thing on him to hurt him. The scepter, they put a, they put a, a counterfeit scepter, a reed in his hand to mock him. But, but, but nobody expected the king would be crowned like that. So it's a lesson to us that, hey, you, wanna, you, you, you want this kingdom? This kingdom is not going to look like any other kingdom. And Jesus was already showing himself. He was showing, revealing that he is the king. Remember when Pastor Chiu preached on the feeding of the 5,000? You all remember that, right? And, and he shared this point that the, there were mess, uh, some messianic connotation. This was a messianic show. He was telling everybody that through the feeding of the 5,000, the king has come. If you have eyes to see, you will see. Why? Because everyone knew that when king comes, when the true king of Israel comes, he will bring his sheep 
to the mountainside and feed them. The shepherds of the day neglected feeding the sheep. Jesus, the king, announced his coming. So if the king has come, if you have eyes to see, you will see. And what do you do? Once you can see, seek him. Seek him. Remember when Pastor Isaac preached this? Do you trust God? Right? Seek first what? The kingdom. Seek the king's kingdom. Seek the king's righteousness. Seek after these things because once you get the king, you get his kingdom. Once you get the king, you get his righteousness. And with his kingdom and righteousness comes a whole new set of culture, a whole new set of values. And I shared this with you. Remember this? Two treasures. That, that if this is a summary of like, of like Matthew 5, 6, and 7, right? Like the kingdom of this world is macham ini, but the kingdom of Jesus is totally different. Totally different. The, the culture, the values, the things of this world is one way. But you get this king, you get a totally different deal. And not just that, you want to access the powerful things of this kingdom, you don't access it the ordinary way. I preach this in the path to kingdom power. The path to all these great fancy things is through the cup of suffering. You pass through the cross to gain power. You've you got to pay a cost, man. There's a price. And the price is, it's a humble path, a humbling path, a painful path. That is the price. And there's one more cost to pay. It is the cost of your full allegiance. Remember when Pastor Lee Chu preached this, it costs to follow Jesus, right? The price is your full allegiance. Jesus wants your life, your all. But, and when He wants that, He wants you to put your loyalty with Him so that when He knows you are loyal to Him, He knows who you are. He knows He is yours and you are His, right? Full allegiance to Christ. But you think, wow, pastor, until now it sounds like baya, 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 baya only. Like pay with suffering, pay with pain, pay with the cross, pay with the cup, pay with allegiance. What am I going to get in return? Hey, you think don't, you get nothing one, is it? Hey, you get the king, you get everything. You get everything. And one of the things you get, you get power. Remember when Pastor Tabby preached this, right? Matthew chapter 10. Go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, Freely you have received, freely you give, right? And so until today, we keep praying for the sick, right? Those hands were healed. Many more have been healed. People coming out of coma. Why? Because the king has come. His power is renewing all the dead things in this world. He's renewing sickness. He's renewing your bodies. He's renewing your relationship, renewing your marriage. All these things are being touched and changed forever because king Jesus has reigned. His regime has started. The regime change has taken place. Kingdom of this world, the dark ruler of this world has been bound up. He's been bound up. The stronger man has come in. That's why, remember when Pastor Gilbert preached this sermon, no neutral ground, that how do you overcome spiritual strongholds when the strong man is bound up by the stronger man? In this case, the strongest man comes in, ties him down so that we can all go in and plunder. And today, we plunder. Tomorrow, we plunder. We plunder the whole Christmas period. We go in, we plunder because of people living in deep darkness must see a great light. They must see a great light. Amen? 
Remember when Wayan preached this sermon on the king is coming. Why did Jesus come to inaugurate his kingdom? His kingdom is going to become real. It's going to become fully empowered and fully realized. And that is the journey on the, to the cross from Matthew chapter 1 all the way through until chapter 27. Let me bring you back to chapter 27. And I want to show you the royal overtones in this chapter. It is beautiful. I, do, I believe that God ordained it so that all these pictures of royalty is there. I believe that the evangelist Matthew uh, was intentional about showing it to us to show us that Jesus is the king. Let's look. Verse 11, Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 28, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. That is the robe of the king, the counterfeit robe of the king. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And by put it on his head, they mean they pressed the thorns into his head. And they put a reed, that counterfeit scepter, in his right hand, as if to mock him. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, in three languages, King of the Jews. And if it's not explicit enough, it's recorded that the people walking by continued to mock him and said this, He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. Then we'll believe him. And you see that all these people, people who represent the kingdoms of this world, trying to snuff out and put out this man whom they thought was an insurrectionist, whom they thought was going to undermine their power, whom they thought was a threat. And he was their only hope, right? And they thought he was a threat. They crushed him, they killed him, and in doing so, now they didn't realize this. Huh? There's so much irony in this because they didn't realize this. But in doing so, they hastened their own demise. Do you see this? It's so ironic. Now if you go to John chapter 19, if I believe it's 19, there is this scene where, where Jesus is being interviewed by Anas the high priest and there is a guard there. And so the guard hears Jesus' answer, the guard bosong with his answer, the guard struck Jesus. And he said to Jesus, is this how you talk to your high priest? And it's so ironic because you almost want Jesus to turn to the guard and say, is this how you talk to your high priest. Because Anas was the high priest of the day, Anas and Caiaphas, but, but Jesus was the higher high priest. But so restrained, Jesus didn't even buggy him. Jesus just kept quiet. But that same irony is taking place. These guys are thinking that, oh, let's mock him. Let's make him look like a stupid king. Let's, let, 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 let's you know, make fun of him for being a king. But in doing that, precisely in doing that, they are leading him to his God-ordained destiny to die on the cross as a king. He didn't just die like a king. Now, his, his oppressors wanted him to die like a king, but he didn't die like a king. He died as a king, the king who befuddled everyone's expectations about what a king should look like. He died as that king. And in the same, and in the way, because of that, today the kingdom will grow in a way that also nobody expects. 
small, small, grow into big, big, right? Um, and with, with, with true self-sacrifice and all that. Today, the kingdom has broken in and life should never be the same again. On the cross, when Jesus defeated the, the power of the strong man of this world, and all the power of heaven is unleashed, now we have power, now we have authority, now we are seated in the heavenly places, now we reign. Why? Because sin, death, addictions, and, and brokenness has been dealt with, decisively dealt with. Amen? Now, friend, I don't know what kind of church background you came from. If you did come with a church background, right? Some of you, maybe you came from the kind of church where every day is just power, 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 signs, wonders, gifts, miracles, miracles, miracles. And then you never hear the cross. You never hear sin. You never hear uh, uh, repentance. None of that ever got preached. And then today you find yourself in SIBKL. I thank God you found yourself in SIBKL, right? And maybe for you, you've been thirsting to hear uh, the cross being preached. And today, I hope you hear the beauty of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for your sins, that really took place. And then for some of you, maybe you grew up in a church where every day it was sinner, 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 repent, 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 hell, hell, hell. And that's all you ever heard. And you're thirsting because these people every day score me, but then no power in their life. Every day whack me, but then actually uh, everybody dies, nobody gets healed, nobody gets whatever. And then you think, God, I'm thirsting. I'm thirsting for the power of God's kingdom. And then you think, oh, you know what? You, you know what's our risk? The way we can sometimes, you know, be in church, whatever, is that our Christian world is very is, is simplified one. So it's, we, we, we make it more low resolution and, it's, and, and we do it, we simplify it this way. Christmas, Jesus is born. And then we fast forward. Good Friday, Jesus died. Easter, Jesus is raised. Hey, that is the whole Christian message. Hey, there's a lot of stuff that you just erase in between, you know? A lot, you know? What you want to erase? It's good stuff. Why are you going to erase it, right? But then sometimes we think it's uh, Christmas, Good Friday, Easter, done, right? Jesus say for your say, say, atonement. Important? Important. That's one of the two things on the cross. But the whole middle part, the enthroning power of Jesus, His ministry on earth, how it's going to change your marriage, your family, your life, your finances, all those things. Hey, you have to mention that. Enthronement, atonement, enthronement, meet on the cross. That's why it's so important. It's so important as we go into this Christmas period, you're going to hear songs like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn, King. And I hope throughout the whole Christmas period, you hear shades of Matthew 27 coming back to you all over again. That on the cross, the lion met the lamb on the cross. Your saviour met your, met your king, right? On, on, on the cross, your, your, your redeemer and your Lord became the same, was the same thing. The full power of his atoning work meets the full power of his enthroning work. It all let rip on the cross. It all let rip on the cross. Now friends, maybe you're hearing all this and you're thinking, Hey pastor, don't bluff lah. You say until so nice ah. I don't feel it. I come to church here, nice, nice wah. So all the big, big words all. I go home still facing my divorce, still facing my mother being sick, still got all these problems. My son is still estranged from you. My son is still estranged from me. I go back to my workplace, I'm still being oppressed. Every single thing. I walk out of here, my limp is still there. Why no change? You say until I like, so nice. Where's the change? Where's the power? Where's the glory? 
Why like that? Don't bluff lah, pastor. Please, please, you lift up my hopes for what? After this, I still have to go back and face all the brokenness in my life. Don't lah, pastor. I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather you be real with me. Friends, I'm going to be real with you. This part, I'm going to be absolutely real with you. Remember when Pastor Lee Chu preached this sermon, the success is in the process. It's a process. That's why Jesus, He didn't come to you and say, come, follow me, I'll make you a success. He didn't say, come, follow me, and, 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 and the kingdom will be fully expressed in you overnight. He said, come, follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. I will make you, I will make you, I am still making you. And I know, I know friends, the making is taking some time. I know the making is taking some time. It's still taking some time with me as well. It's taking time with all of us. It will. It's a process. But He's taking us day by day, day by day. He is faithful. He is true. He will forgive us of all our sins, atonement. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will give you power on high. He will only hang on to Him. Hang on to Him. Because in John chapter 15, He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. And you will bear much fruit. Only enthrone Him and remain in Him. Don't let go. Don't let go. Remain in Him. And the best way to remain in Him right now, put Him on the throne in your heart. If there is a dark ruler in your heart, whether it's money or success or fame or power or women or whatever it is, like oh, 20,000 different gods out there, dethrone everyone from the throne in your heart right now. Can we do that, SIBKL? And after you've dethroned every single false god, every single false king, Jesus, we enthrone you. We proclaim you are king. Standing here in the midst of us, we lift you up with our praise. SIBKL, do you have a praise in your heart today? Do you have a praise in your heart today? Praise for your king. Do you have praise for your king? I want to give an invitation. I want to give an invitation. It's a very important, the most important invitation of them all. If I can have all your eyes closed. Earlier, I gave you guys an opportunity to pray to receive Jesus as your Savior, to save you from your sins. But right now, I want to lead us all to pray, to pray and say, Jesus, be enthroned in my heart. Come onto the throne in my heart and establish your kingdom in me so that I can really be that intersection between heaven and earth. And if any one of you you are not a Christian, but today you want to make this prayer true. You want to make this prayer yours. You want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Can you lift up your hand all the way up? I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. You want to reserve, sister, I see your hand right there. Sister, I see your hand. Anyone else? Keep your hands up. Anyone else? would like to receive Jesus. You want to make Jesus your, your King in your heart so that forever He will reign with you. Never again will you be alone. Never again. Sister in yellow, I see your hand. I see your hand stretched out all the way. God be praised for your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else who wants to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, as your Shepherd and King, 
stretch your hand all the way out. I want to say, sister in white, I see your hand. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. Anyone else wants to receive Jesus? This is your day. This is your day, my friend. This is your day. Jesus has come. His presence is here. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And He's saying, my friend, if you would only open, I will come in and I will renew all the broken things in your life because the King has come. Anyone else? Just Sister in red, I see you. Sister in red, back last row of, this, of the first column, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see, I see the hand, brother, brother in, in the white, uh, uh, a sweater over there I see I see your head God be praised because of you anyone else anyone else sister in white sister in white praise God praise God for you sister anyone else anyone else anyone else and the pastors are working very hard to, 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 to identify all of you guys but God be praised right anyone in the balcony Anyone in the balcony, your life is broken and you, you heard me just now. You're going to go home to, to, to all kinds of broken things still. But you go home with Christ. You go home with the Redeemer. He's going to put all the broken things back together again. Anyone on, in the balcony, if you want, stretch your hand because today is the day. This is your moment with Jesus. And you don't have to come up to the front to be saved. You are saved in your seat. Wherever you are, you stretch your hand up by faith through grace of God. You are saved. Anyone else? Anyone else? SIBKL. Shall we give God praise? Shall we give God a mighty praise? Because all of heaven is celebrating. All of heaven is celebrating. For those of you who stretch out your hands, I know that quite a few of you, can you come to the front? Can you come? Nothing magical. Whatever God has done, He has decisively done it in your heart. Can you come to the front and we're going to pray together. We're going to pray together. Sister in red, sister in yellow, the brother in white at the back, and the sister in white, the two sisters in white here. Can you come to the front? We just want to pray together with you. SIBKL, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's pray Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Let us rise! Let us rise! Let us rise! Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Let's repeat after me. Father, thank you that you are King, King of my heart. And the savior of my soul. Savior of my soul. I confess, I confess that once I was a sinner. Once I was a sinner. But you saved me. But you saved me. You paid for my sins on the cross. Paid for my sins on the cross. And today. And today. I have dethroned all other gods. All other gods. And I enthrone King Jesus. And I enthrone King Jesus. I pray your power will come. I pray your power will come. And become real in my life. And become real in my life. I love you. I love you. But you first love me. But you first love me. Today I am yours. Today I am yours. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Amen. 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 Let's worship. Let's say, Jesus, we enthrone you. We enthrone you. Let's everybody here lift up your hands. Praise the King. Praise the King.
season we want to honor you we want to thank you we want to bless you and we want to bring all our family and friends in so that they too can have Jesus and thrown in their hearts father I thank you for this day now may the love of God the father the abounding grace of Jesus Christ the grace that sets us free and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit come and dwell in our midst take your place until we meet each other again next week and all of God's people shout aloud Amen Amen Amen